Good morning. Please rise for the reading of God's word. Our scripture reading today is from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. The armor of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when, you, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given, given me that, uh, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. You may be seated. Thanks, Joanne. Is the PowerPoint working? It's not, that's okay. In our study of the Lord's Prayer, we come now to this line, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, or the evil one that is Satan. Now that right away leads us into two difficulties, and it'll be good to address them first. Uh, one, the line, lead us not into temptation. Now, why would we need to pray this? Does this imply that God would or even could lead us into temptation? Um, Jesus died to deliver us from evil. So does God the Father lead us back into temptation? Uh, James chapter 1 says, God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So does he lead into temptation, but not actually tempt anyone? Or does this have to do with God testing us? I think the answer has to do with figures of speech. There is a figure of speech in which something is implied by its negative being denied. We imply the positive by saying not the negative. For example, um, English literature in the 1800s is quite fond of this. In order to say someone is attractive, they say that someone is not unattractive. Or to say someone has said something funny, they'll say that he spoke not without humor. And the Apostle Paul says that we are aware of Satan's schemes by saying that we are not unaware of his schemes. So, to say, lead us not into temptation, is another way of saying, Lord, lead us away from temptation. I hope that makes sense. 
And secondly, uh, deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from evil is pretty straightforward. But what about deliver us from the evil one? The translation could be either. So let's say uh, Jesus really didn't intend to say deliver us from the evil one. Now, some of these things need to be said about Satan, the evil one. Um, We must understand that Satan is not omnipresent. He is not God's equal and opposite. He can only be at one place at one time. So, for example, I don't even think Satan knows that I exist. I myself don't merit that kind of attention. But he is the chief of a whole host of demons, of fallen angels. So one can talk about Satan as a way of referring to all demons and evil ones that he was a leader of. We do something like this when we say uh, Putin has invaded the Crimea when Putin himself did not actually enter the Crimea and certainly not on his own. Or that Encana built a huge building downtown when the trade workers, the construction workers, actually did the building, and so on. So in our scripture reading this morning, we read this, that we wrestle against, not against the ruler, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly place. So our our enemy is really our enemies. The evil one is really the evil ones over whom Satan... His chief. And we can refer to all the forces of evil by mentioning only Satan. So I understand that when people say, Satan tempted me, or Satan is attacking the church, um, it's okay to do that, providing we do not ascribe to Satan more power than he actually has. Chances are he's not doing it himself, but his, it's one of his underlings or several that is probably attacking or tempting. So I hope, too, I hope that makes sense. Now, uh, to the prayer. The Lord does not lead us into temptation. He leads us away from temptation. But still, the responsibility is ours as to whether we will be tempted or not. Uh, In our former home, Um, On windy days, we always end up with garbage in our front yard, plastic bags, newspapers, candy bar wrappers, empty tin Horton's cups, etc. And it was entirely a location issue. Our house was at the end of an alley, and the wind would blow down the alley and take garbage with with it, which into our front yard, and our hedges would collect it. If you put yourself in certain situations or certain places, are you surprised at the garbage that flows into your heart and mind? Are you surprised at the nature and the frequency of your temptations? The Bible says that we experience no temptation beyond what we can bear. God has provided a way out. So if we remain remain in the place of temptation, isn't it our decision to stay there? 
But we do that, don't we? God leads us, but doesn't force us away from temptation. He takes us by the hand to lead us away, but we lean toward temptation, like a child leaning away from his parents. We flirt with temptation. Jesus died to deliver us from evil, but sometimes we get as close to it as we can. We see how close we get to the fire without being burned. Well, I didn't actually sin, per se. Richard Kivenhoven has said, the sincerity of our prayers is always evident in your style of living. That means that to pray, forgive us our sins without forgiving others is insincere. To say, give us this day our daily bread without making any effort to get bread or work for bread is insincere. And so to say, lead us not into temptation, but to remain in situations in which we know we will be tempted is likewise insincere. To pray for unity, uh, pray for purity of mind, and then to spend too much time surfing the computer when you're by yourself or watching TV late at night when you're by yourself is dangerous. To pray for help in battling alcohol while having beer in the house is dangerous. Even alcoholics know that even though they have been dried for decades, they can't afford to have that first drink. Or to dis- uh, to desire God to speak, but not pay attention or sit with others who play with their phones or whatever in church. A middle school in Oregon faced a unique problem. A number of girls were beginning to use lipstick and would put it on in the bathroom of the school. And after they would put on their lipstick, they would press their lips to the mirror, leaving dozens of little lip prints. And uh, finally, the principal decided that something had to be done. So she called the girls into the bathroom and met them there with a custodian. And she explained to the girls that all the lip prints were causing a major problem for the custodian. And to demonstrate how hard it was to clean it, she asked the custodian to demonstrate cleaning the mirror. So he took out a long-handled brush, dipped it in the toilet, and scrub the mirror. So, so since then, you can imagine, there have been no lip prints on the mirror. When we put ourselves in places of temptations, we kiss the mirror. And if we could only see what we'd be kissing, we wouldn't be attracted to. But the subtlety of temptation is that it doesn't look like temptation. When tempted, we think of all sorts of things. We tell ourselves that it's not sin. We're just curious. Or that we have the right to feel this way about someone. We tell ourselves that it isn't sin. It's just harmless. That it's not gossip. It's sharing prayer requests or telling the truth. But it's certainly not temptation. It's harmless. It's so minor. No. 
There's no such thing as a minor sin. God the Father gave his son Jesus Christ to die for our sin. Now think about that. To die for all our sin, not just the big sins. It's all filth. It's all an affront to God. And so to indulge it is sin. Most of you will be tempted today. And if you're not tempted today, you were tempted yesterday or tomorrow. What will your temptation be? Because the time to prepare for it is now. The back seat of the Chevy is the wrong time to decide for yourself what is right and what is wrong. I think it was Phillips Brooks, uh, Archbishop in the Episcopal, uh, Episcopal Church uh, a century ago. He said, Someday, in the years to come, you will be wrestling with the great temptation or trembling under the great sorrow of your life. But the real struggle is here, now. Now it's being decided whether in the day of your supreme sorrow or your great temptation you shall miserably fail or gloriously conquer. Character cannot be made except by a steady, long, continued process. So right now is the time to prepare for the temptation that will come later. So what will your temptation be? Think about it for a second. Will you be tempted to lose your temper? Tempted to be critical? Tempted to gossip or take a drink or look at something you shouldn't or fudge the truth, you name it. What will you do when that temptation comes your way? Will you, as the Bible says, flee? Or indulge. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but show me the way out and I will take it. And deliver us from the evil or the evil one. And that's what this passage in Ephesians deals with. What it looks like to be delivered from evil. Is this a passage about being tempted as individuals? The book of of Ephesians is all about relationships, that in God, Christ has reconciled us to himself and to one another. Chapter 1, God has reconciled us in Christ, both Jews and Gentiles, to himself. Chapter 2, God has saved us from sin and has joined Jews and Gentiles together into one people with no hostility built together to be a dwelling place for God. Chapter 3, this mystery, God creating the church made of Jews and Gentiles, is the great mystery to which Paul testifies. Chapter 4 begins by urging us to live a life worthy of that calling as a church united, because there are not two gods but one, not two baptisms but one, one faith, etc. And the church is built up as each one uses his gift. The rest of chapter 4 and the first, tar- first part of chapter 5 instructs us how we are to live in relationship to each other. 
And then Paul talks about how, is this, how this is in certain relationship, husband and wife, parent and child, masters and slaves. Then we get to chapter 6. And does Paul suddenly change tack and refer to us as individuals? Or is he still talking about relationships in the church? He is still talking about the church. In other words, it's not me that needs to put on the armor of God, but it's the church. The church as a whole needs to be protected from enemies that aren't flesh and blood, but against the forces of evil. The church, built by God through reconciliation, the evil one tries to pull us apart. So yes, deliver us from evil. We are at war. And I need help to stand against the personal temptation to be critical or to lust or to gossip. But it's not, it's not just about me. We are engaged in a battle for our own unity. For it's our unity that is our greatest witness. We are to stand for a oneness. We fight for the truth of the gospel. Philippians 1 verse 27 says, Stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And how has God delivered us from the evil ones? By giving us the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel and the belt of truth, these are how the church resists the devils, how we are freed from evil. This is the armor of God, which enables us to stand in the evil day. And when all is said and done, we are still standing. And I don't think that Paul listed these in a particular order or I think he could have just as easily said the belt of righteousness or the helmet of faith. The point is that the realities of Christianity, faith, salvation, righteousness, truth, the gospel, these things protect us from evil. And these are gifts to us from God. These are his armor. When David was about to go fight Goliath, King Saul, noticing that David had no protection, tried to lend him his own armor, but it didn't fit, and he chose not to wear it. God's armor fits. We don't need anything else. The gospel, truth, righteousness, salvation, and faith, that's all we need to do battle and to stand against evil. And evil that is not subtle, like attacks on Christianity and the media and culture, attacks on life through abortion or persecution, the church can withstand these things. In fact, we can fight back, and more about that next week. But what about evil that is subtle? Which of these is a danger for you? A critical spirit that you always notice what is wrong. Pride, that is, if more people thought as you do, the church would be healthier. Secrets we hold. The fact that it seems awkward to talk about Jesus in our after-church conversations. 
The fact that if we disagree with someone, we often don't address it face-to-face, constructively. Or the mindset that says, I'm right and I have the right to respond that way. Mistrust, thinking the worst of someone's actions. Speaking the truth, but not in love. Legalism. All of these and a host of others pull us apart. And we don't even realize that this is fundamentally ungodly. It departs from the character of Christ. It's sin. It's evil. And our enemy is not each other. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. Our enemy is the forces of evil. And faith, righteousness, salvation, truth, gospel, these bind us together as we stand shoulder to shoulder against evil. So Lord and Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Don't live at the end of the moral alley and collect garbage. In church, let us do battle, fighting for our unity against those forces that will pull us apart. In just a few minutes, we're going to sing the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And I'd like to paraphrase that for you. The language in the hymn is sort of awkward for us. So here's what we'll be singing. And if you want to look in your hymnals, hymnals, you can. Uh, Number 333, I think. Just wait for the pages to start, stop wrinkling. And if you're wrinkling pages just to keep me from keeping going, don't. A mighty fortress is our God. God is our fortress, an unfailing refuge. He helps us when we are overwhelmed with the trials of life. For still the evil one works against us, after all. He is cunning and he is hateful. Nothing on earth is like him. And if we, and if we relied on ourselves, if we had not the right man on our side, God's chosen one, we would be lost. Who is that, you ask? It is Christ Jesus, the Lord of hosts, the eternal, unchanging one, His victory is inevitable. And though this evil world should threaten to undo us, we will not be afraid, for God will not fail us. Satan is a forbidding foe, but we will not fear. We can endure his rage, for we know his doom is sure. One word from God is enough to wipe him out. And this word from the mouth of God is greater than and independent from all earthly powers. We have the Spirit and God's gift to us through Jesus Christ. We do not cling to possessions or even loved ones or life itself. Our body they may kill. But the reality of God 
and his promises to us remain. So our life in God's kingdom cannot be taken from us. It will endure forever. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let me pray. Lord, your kingdom is forever. And Christ's victory is inevitable. And Satan and his evil ones, at the end of the day, their doom is sure. And you invite us to, to do battle, to fight evil every day, and to know that as we do that, we are siding with you, and that's what we want to do. So make us aware of sin in all its forms. Help us to take a stand. We will choose to stand against evil. We, we will choose to stand with you, to wear the armor of God. And I pray that together we will wear the armor, that we will fight for our unity, fight for our oneness, and not just, I don't know, sit back or not be aware of something. Help us to be aware and to fight. In Jesus' name, not for our own sake, but for the sake of our witness of Jesus Christ is his name. We pray.